Amen, church. Well, you guys can be seated. So, so glad to have you here today and so excited to look at God's Word together. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, and I uh, hope that today is a wonderful time, um, and this season is a wonderful time with you and your family, and uh, that you get to reflect on some wonderful truths and be part of some wonderful things together, um, reflecting on what God has done and what God is doing in your life and in the life of our church and in the life of, uh, of the people around you as well as in the world, and so I I hope that this is a season that is very hope-filled for you and encouraging for you as you reflect on Christ. And welcome um, today and also to tomorrow. Hopefully you will come and join us as we, uh, we kind of reflect together uh, as in, in our Christmas Eve service at night. So as we get into this, you guys know we've been memorizing through the books of the Bible. Okay, One of the things that I'm uh, convicted of and sure of is that uh, we need more of God's Word, right? That the Bible Bible is our life, and, uh, and it's really easy now um, to see in a lot of different ways and a lot of different places, unfortunately, uh, that the Bible is strictly um, like maybe confined to application of our life without knowing um, who's involved in this, what's the historical context behind it, what is God doing in the big picture, who are these people, why is he doing this, how does all of this point to Jesus? Um, we need to know those things because they're important for us as we want to grow in our godliness and our understanding of God's word and love him more. And part of that is also becoming familiar with the Bible, with how to use it, okay? So that you can, um, so that can be an active part of your life. And so we were convicted of the fact that we want to um, memorize through the, the books of the Bible, like all the words in all the books. Just kidding. All right. We're just talking about memorizing the, the scene if you're awake still. If we can memorize the, the books in order so that you can use God's word um, readily and easily. So we're, it, we're, we're up to Proverbs, okay? I don't know if you guys have been working on it, okay? Like whenever I say that, most people look down, which is a telltale sign that you have not been working on it, okay? And uh, <laughs> we forgive you. But if you want to really from here, you can write, some, write it on a note card, put it on a sticky note, put it around you so that you can um, memorize those books. Um, repetition, if you say, I'm one of those people, like I literally cannot even memorize how to spell like my last name, right? Well, listen, repetition works, okay? So just keep reciting these books over and over again. Eventually, you'll, you'll say them by default. So here we go, ready? We're through Proverbs, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Give yourselves a round of applause. Awesome job, everybody. Some of you guys even surprised yourselves. You're like, wow, I did it. <laughs> so good job, good job. And uh, so today we're going to add three books, okay? We're going to add Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, okay? Can you say it again? Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Say it again. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. One more time. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Okay, you ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Look at you guys. That's awesome. Good job. You're like, wow, I didn't really think that I could do it, and you're doing it, and I'm excited for you. Well, today is um, a special day, and it's so full of hope. Today, as we get into our passage today, we know that Christmas, behind Christmas, the meaning of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. That's what we celebrate. Jesus being born, coming to earth, God coming to earth. But what I'm so, so excited and eager for us to see, and that our passage, I think, shows us so wonderfully today, is that we can see a God who is behind this plan of Christmas, and we can know this God and understand this God by witnessing the miracle of Christmas. Of course, God came in Christmas, but God the Father, he was behind Christmas. They were all behind Christmas. God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, to make it exactly what God had planned and to accomplish all that God had planned to accomplish. We see this, all of it, from the prophecy, from the plan. Think about this, the timing all of these intricacies that God had set up and the way Christmas had happened, God was setting up all of these details on purpose. God actually thought this up in his mind to accomplish what he accomplished in the time of Christmas, the way that he accomplished it. And it's wonderful to think through that. Think about this, God is behind Christmas. He's the one who made it happen. He's the one who decided how it would happen. He's the one who decided the purpose, right? Or obviously, the purpose was, um, in and of itself, the greatest purpose of all time, to save his, his people from their sins, from the penalty of their sins. So the purpose, the method, how it would happen, the location, the people involved, God set all of this up. He was behind the scenes setting all of this up on purpose. It was God. It was God, and it's his plan by his grace, by his own initiative. No one told him to do it. He took initiative to pursue you so that Jesus would die on your behalf so that you could come into the family of God. We see God was behind all of this. And as we think through this, and as we see this story, and as we understand these details, we understand what kind of God we have. We understand what kind of God we have, that he's full of love and mercy and kindness and truth, and he loves you, and he wants you in his family, and there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, that there's mercy and grace, we see that the God behind Christmas says that he's for us. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He wants you in his family. I'm convinced because I experience it myself, and I'm the pastor, okay? I need grace. I need forgiveness. Many of you I know are not as far along in your Christian journey or walk with God or holiness. You're not as far along as you want to be. I mean, that's just the common plague of us as Christians. You're distraught by your failure, your sin. You're discouraged, despondent, in despair. Our sin plagues us, our failures plague us. We're not as far along. We want to be more honoring to God. We're embarrassed, we're ashamed, we're full of guilt. 
And God says, I want you to see the story of me sending my son. I want you to see that I was behind this, that I'm pursuing you. And that if you've put your faith in and trusted my son, I'm going to continue to work in you. I know you're not as far along as you want to be. I know you're not as, as perfect as you'd like to be. And I know that your sin is ever before you. But Philippians 1.6 takes that promise. I began this work in you and I'm going to complete it. I love you. I'm for you. God shows us this hope in this grace and this pursuit during Christmas, during the story of Christmas, as we witness this story of Christmas. Listen, I know life might not be going as planned, and for some of you, life has turned out like you never thought it would turn out. And Christmas shows that there's grace, and there's mercy, and God is still in the business of pursuing you, and loving you, and changing you, and providing for you hope. And so today, my only hope in seeing this God behind Christmas is that you would experience God's grace, that you would be set a course for hope, especially starting this new year, that you'd be set a course for hope, trusting in God and the grace of God and the character of God moving forward because of what we see in the message of Christmas. So let's pray. Let's ask God that we would experience his grace today, that he would encourage us and show us hope today as we see it in the message of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, I just plead for you, Spirit, to do your work. God, our sin is ever before us, our failures, our shortcoming. I know there's so many people in this room who are not where they want to be with you. I know that they maybe even took a lot of courage to even step in these doors this morning. I don't care how long they've been Christians for. God, I know. And God, the truth of the matter is that sin had run rampant over the whole world. And that fact that it was seemingly impossible for man to get to you. And yet you pursued a people because you loved them by sending your son Jesus that ultimately would lead to him dying on the behalf of your people. And I pray that today we would see that same pursuit. We would see that same love. We would see that same hope. We would see that same grace. We would see that same mercy. And we'd experience in you, in the gospel, a hope for our future. I pray, Lord, that you would show us this today, spirit, that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're reading 26, verses 26 through 38 today, okay? Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to open it. Um, I'm reading from the NASB. If you don't have a Bible, just listen close, but I encourage you to bring one with you next time. There's also Bibles right on the other side of those walls, right in the hallway, so that you can grab one of those anytime. If you don't have a Bible or a way of getting a Bible, take one of those with you, take it home, and let it become yours. Write your name in it and uh, begin to use it as if it's yours, because we want want you to have it, okay? So, so we're in reading Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 today, and we're going to talk through it. So let's read. You ready? Here we go. Now in the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel, not Michael, as I said so many times last week, I know, okay? No one pointed it out to me. They just let me look dumb up here. Okay, Gabriel, okay? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee 
called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation or greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said to her, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, or the servant of the Lord I am, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What an incredible passage that shows us the predicted birth and the angel coming to tell Mary that Jesus was going to be born. And we learn a few things, three points today, as we see the God behind the story of Christmas and the message of it and how it gives us grace and hope for our future. Here's what we see. The first point is that the story of Christmas, it reminds us as we watch this, as we read this, that God keeps his promises. The story of Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises. Here's what we see, that God, ready church, listen, that God keeps his promises. That's what we're observing. That's what we're reading. God keeps his promises. In verses 26 through 33, that's what we see. I'm going to walk through it. Stay with me. You ready? What we see now in the sixth month, what is he talking about? The sixth month of what? Of Elizabeth being pregnant, right? So at this time, we just got out of last week. Okay, stay with me because I'm going to walk you through this. We just got out of last week of Elizabeth, uh, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that the angel Gabriel said that she was going to have a child who was going to prepare the way for the Savior. Now, this is her sixth month, which tells us that he's at least six months older than who? Jesus, because this is the story of him, and he's going to be, um, he's going to be uh, born as well after John, and so what we see is he's in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, what happened? Gabriel was sent from God, verse 26, look at it, why does it tell us he was sent from God, why? Because he was, and this shows us the authority of Gabriel. Gabriel didn't just come on his own initiative. He just didn't decide himself. He wasn't just bored up in heaven and said, I'm going to go like, talk, to, talk to some people down there, like Zechariah, and I'm going to talk to Mary and tell them something that God hadn't ordained. God told him to do this. He was sent from God. It shows God's, uh, his authority, but it also shows, listen, that God was taking the initiative. God took the initiative. 
God told Gabriel to go because God had a plan. It also tells us that God is about to fulfill his promises. So we see he was sent from God to a city in Galilee, right? To a city in Galilee called what? Nazareth. And so what we see here, listen, I'm going to explain to you some background, okay? So we're going to get a little bit technical for a period of time. Stay with me. It's so important because it's going to set us up for how this is relevant for us. Galilee of Nazareth. Nazareth of Galilee. Here's what we see. Well, we know at this time that this, all the known areas were under the authority of who? The Roman government, right? They were the big, bad people, right? And what we know is that these people, Mary and Joseph, were going to travel soon to have this baby. They were going to travel to Bethlehem to have this baby. That's where Jesus was going to be born. Right now, they live in Nazareth. They were going to travel to Bethlehem because of taxes, right? There needed to be a registration. So let's just say that taxes have never done anything good, right? They have. They sent them to Bethlehem, and they were going to have the baby there. So there's, there's no IRS at this time, right? So this is their way of making sure everyone pays, and if you don't pay, we're going to lay the smack down. If you don't pay, they had to go to their hometown. Joseph was of the line of David, of the city of Bethlehem. They were going to go there to have Jesus. So they were going to go, but they're not there yet. They would travel to Bethlehem because look at this in Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. One who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of all from ancient of days. Now, this might not seem important to us, but listen, we know that God is going to send Jesus in the exact way that he said he would. And this is so important for us, and it was important for them, because even in Jesus' day, the fulfillment of the things that God had said in the exact way that God had said it were vitally important to whether or not people truly believed in Jesus and that he was indeed the long-awaited coming Messiah. But wait a second, they're in a different place, right? They're in Galilee. They're in Nazareth. But what we see is this confused people in the scriptures. Uh, in Jesus's life, look at John 7, 40 through 42. When they heard these words, the words of Jesus, and some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ or the Messiah. But some said, it's the Christ to come from Galilee has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village of where David was? So while Jesus was on earth, the fact that his family was in Nazareth is confusing to people because Jesus, he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. So some people call him a prophet. Some people call him Christ. But one thing that made some people doubt was that Jesus was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And he was. Ironically, he was, even though people didn't know it because of where his family was, because they moved there for the registration. And later on, listen, in Matthew, we see, that, we see the picture that Jesus, we know that Jesus moved later on back into Nazareth after he was born in Bethlehem and traveled around some places. In Matthew 2, 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he was to be called a Nazarene. So we see all of this, that his family was there, but he was going to be born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophets 
prophecies. And many people ask, well, why did God do it like this? Why couldn't they just have like lived in Bethlehem? And there's a lot of reasons. One of the reasons why I think this happened is because remember when Jesus was on earth and a lot of times he would tell people, this is not my time. This is not my time. This is not my time. Why did he say that? Because as soon as he would fulfill or, or speak about or uh, unveil everything that he was, the, the son of God in all ways, he knew that they would do what? Crucify him kill him, put him on the cross. And it wasn't his time to go on the cross yet. So some of this was, I think, to blind the eyes of the people who wouldn't believe to say, is this the Christ? Is this a prophet? Who is this man, right? And so what we see is that this confused a lot of people, but Jesus indeed was from Nazareth. He went to and be born in Bethlehem. His family was in Nazareth. He was gonna go return there. And some people questioned because they knew the Messiah was to be born of Bethlehem, but he was going to be. In verse 27, look at this. He was born to a virgin. Now stay with me. All these technicalities, these fulfillments, these prophecies are on purpose, okay? Because this is what's behind all of this. Like when you read this passage in your own Bible time and you say, oh, this just looks like he was from here. It's awesome. He's born of here. This looks awesome. These people were involved. There's like a ton behind this. You got to see what's behind this. So verse 27, stay with me. Look, he's born to a virgin, a virgin. And the virgin was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, why a virgin? How does this work? Well, for one of the reasons it fulfilled what was said in Isaiah 7, 14, look at this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name, or you shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with And that's what he was. Born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, why did he have to be born of a virgin? Well, there's a lot of different reasons as to why this is very, very important, okay? But we see that he was born of a virgin, so he was human because he was born of a person. God, Jesus, had to be human. Why did he have to be human? Because he had to die. God doesn't die. Humans do. So he had to be fully man, right? But he was born of a virgin, so there was no sin nature, Right? There's no sin nature, so he's perfect. He's without sin, but he's man, so he can die. He's got no biological father, so his father is who? The heavenly father, God. But he's also fully God. Because what we read here and what we're going to talk about in just a minute is that he was conceived through the virgin by the Holy Spirit, so he's the son of God. Right? He's perfect, and he had to be God. Why did he have to be God? To live a perfect life, but also because, listen, if you die for your sin, that's like one death for a life of sin, deal's done, right? But when an eternal God dies, all of the wrath for all of eternity is paid for. So he's got to be fully God, and he's got to be fully man. This was the only way to do it, and this was God's plan. He was able to die. God's wrath for all of eternity would be satisfied, but yet he would live a perfect life, and there would be also be none like him, because who else has ever been born of a virgin? And so here we see this. Man who was unlike any other, fulfilling the prophecy of God, born just in the way God said he was, unique, Fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ coming. 
And what we see in verse 27 is that this virgin Mary was engaged or betrothed to. That means like a deeper commitment than what we know as engagement. Like at this point, if you break this, you have to go through or file for what? Divorce. There, there's no leaving. Joseph isn't going to leave Mary once he finds out, right? He's thinking about it. The angel comes to him. But this is a more severe case if he were to leave Mary at this point. God had the right timing, the perfect timing through the virgin, just in the way that God said it was going to be done. And it was born to Joseph. Joseph was the father. He was going to be born to Joseph. Joseph was of the descendant of who? David, from the line of David. Now listen, in Jeremiah 23, we know that the branch from the line of David was going to come through that branch, through that line. The branch would be Jesus, right? He would be the Messiah. The branch would come through that line. And so what we ultimately know is that God's now even fulfilling this prophecy through the line of David, but it started even way before that because remember a guy named Abraham? Well, God made some promises to him as well. Look at this. Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son. Who is the son? Isaac, remember he was called to sacrifice him. Your only son, which is a picture of points us to the gospel. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, is he talking about immediate offspring? Yes. But is he ultimately talking about Jesus? Yes. God is fulfilling his plan, his promises through all of these means. When you read these verses, there is so much packed in here to what God was doing from the beginning of time. And we see this all coming true. God fulfilling all of his promises in the exact way that he said he would. Now look at this, verse 28. We're not done yet. Keep staying with me. Ready? He says, greetings, favored one. Like, what does that mean? Well, God's chose you. Mary, by his grace, he's chose you to be part of this favored one. The Lord is with you. You're about to do something with the Lord. The Lord is about to be part of something. You are going to be part of his plan in this way. And verse 29, my version says that she was very perplexed, right? I'm not sure what yours says, but perplexed. Other versions say troubled, right? I don't think this is unbelief, but this is like an uncertainty mixed with fear, right? Like, I... I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm kind of afraid and I'm uncertain, but I believe if this is from, from God, right? How do we know she was afraid? Well, look at what the angel says next. He says, do not, do not what? Be afraid. So if she wasn't afraid, there would no, be no reason for the angel to say, do not be afraid. So she was afraid, right? So what we see here, she's responding. She's afraid. And here's what happens. Look at this. What we see is that verse 31, he tells her, Gabriel tells her, okay? Here's what he says. What does he say? He says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, rescuer, deliverer, savior. That's who you're going to bear. And as we see all of this taking place, all of this, God is fulfilling his promise, his plan, 
right? This is his plan with her. But listen, what we see in verses 32 through 33 as we close this section, that he is even, even though he's from the line of David, he will take the throne of David. He's not like David. He is greater than David. Look at this in verses 32 through 33. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. We see that name of God in the Bible, Hosea, I think. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, right? He's going to take the kingdom, the throne of all of God's people, Israel, but the, the, the sa- salvation of people who will be um, the God's people as we see after Christ comes and after Christ does his work, he will take the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, not for a little while like David did, but forever. He will rule forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And we see he is not like David. Look at 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down, this is God speaking to David, with your fathers. When you die, David, I will raise up from your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, ultimately, this was first and foremost immediately pointing to Solomon, but Solomon doesn't fulfill what God has required. And so ultimately this is fulfilled in who? Jesus. Now, this is a lot of information. You're like, I don't know if I'll remember one of those. But here's what we see. Some of the stuff wasn't understood till post-ascension, till Jesus raised and ascended. But you sit here now with clear view with clear view. And Christmas reminds us as we see all of this that God fulfilled and kept all of his promises. All of this had background. All of this had story. All of this had a start. All of this was from God's plan. All of this was coming to fruition. All of this God was doing in the fulfillment of sending his son. God kept his promises. Over all the years, listen, listen close. Over all the years, throughout all of the successes, throughout all of the failures of God's people, like you ever read the Old Testament? Yeah? There's a lot of failures, aren't there? Like a lot, a lot. And over all the failures, over all the wanderings, over all the sins, over all the words spoken against God, over all of the mistrust, God stayed true to his word to send his son at the exact time, place, way, method for the exact purpose that he said he was going to. He was sending Jesus just as he said he would. Regardless of the situations or the actions of his people, God stayed true to his word. He stayed true to his word. That's what Christmas shows us is that God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promise. And this speaks volumes to us. Listen, church, God is still a promise keeper. Regardless of your fears, regardless of your failures, regardless of your faithlessness, I know you're not where you want to be. I know your sin is ever before you. But God's promises towards you in Christ of love, listen, of love, of grace, of mercy, of commitment, of faithfulness to free you 
from what has you in bondage, to grow you, to be committed to you, to change you, to restore you, and to use you are true. Even when you feel like you can't get God back on your side. Even when you feel like you're not good enough. Even when you feel like you've failed one too many times. Listen, God's promises are true and they're not any more evident than what we see in the story of Christmas fulfilled in the cross. Listen, God's word is full of promises. Do you know that? God, this Christmas story shows us that God is a promise keeper and God's word is full of promises. Full of promises. The question is, will you trust them? Will you trust that God's a promise keeper? Will you trust God's promises on a regular basis? Will you live a life trusting in the promises of God as you walk through life, as you walk with God, that your life would be filled with trusting in the character and the promises of God that you see in his word, that you would live by faith in the promises of God most clearly displayed in the gospel, would allow you to rejoice in hope for your entire life. That's how we live by faith. Do you know that? That's how we do it. That's how you live by faith. You trust in the promises of God as you walk with God, the promises that are ultimately fulfilled in the gospel. You trust his promises. Like, I just feel like God's done with me. I don't even know if he loves me anymore. I wonder if he does. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So no matter what you feel, you gotta trust that promise. And you live by faith in the promises of God fulfilled in the gospel, clearly seen in this story of Christmas. That's how you live by faith. You trust God's word. You believe in Christ. You trust in Jesus as you walk that God has future grace for you that his promises are true, that you live by faith and future grace based upon the promises of God. Lest you say, well, I'm not sure if all these promises apply to me. They do. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Listen, church. Oh, how your life would change if you lived by faith in the promises of God on a daily basis. Oh, how your mind would change, how your heart would change, how your outlook on life would change, the paralyzing fears that would be taken away. Listen, when I'm afraid, right, what does God say in Isaiah 41.10? Do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear, gone. By faith, because I believe that God is true to his promises that he makes in his word. That's how we live by faith. And we can see that God is a promise keeper. So listen, what promises through God's word, in God's word, based upon the gospel, are you currently trusting in? What promises are surrounding your life right now? What promises are infused in your mind and your heart right now as you live for him? Are there any? Are there any? Listen, this is your only hope. This is your only hope to live by faith. Like, you know what I hate most in all the world? Phone batteries. Why? Because mine always die. 
Always. Like, that's my office, okay? Like, my phone is my office. So I always use my phone all the time, right? And it's dead, like, usually halfway through the day. So I carry, like, a charger. Starbu- in Starbucks, my phone is on the other side of the room, plugged in somewhere. While I'm having a meeting, then I'm going to go get it and use it and then plug it back in, right? Why? Because it's so important. The phone does not work without the power of the battery behind it. It just doesn't work. Like, I can't accomplish the work that's in front of me without the power of that battery. Listen, you cannot accomplish the work of God without trusting by faith. If you are in Christ, trusting by faith the promises of God on a regular basis. And we can trust God and his promises because he's a promise keeper. So listen, okay, ready? We're almost done with this point. You gotta know what God's word says. You gotta know what his promises are. You gotta have them. So here's my instruction to you, ready? In this new year, here's what I want you to develop. I want you to develop a pocket of promises. That's what I want you to develop. Going into 2019, I want you to develop a pocket of promises that speak precisely to what you most struggle with. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's your worth before God. Maybe a f- feeling of pointlessness, that all your work is in vain. Develop a pocket of promises that when your flesh or Satan speaks to your mind, you can trust in God's word over what you feel. So what we see first in our story is a story of Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises. Secondly, what we see, the other two are shorter, I promise. The story of Christmas number two reminds us that Jesus is the purpose. The story of Christmas reminds us that Jesus is the purpose. That's what we see secondly, okay? Now listen, okay? In our passage, verses 31 through 33, listen to this, ready? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Listen, in this passage, in this story, like this is the peak of the mountain. Okay, this is the peak. Like, if one side of the story is going up and the other side of the story is going down, this is the pinnacle. What is the pinnacle? It's that Jesus is the whole purpose of this thing. I'm setting all this up. I'm keeping all of my promises. I'm telling you how all of this is going to go. Why? Because I'm doing one very, very particular thing. I'm sending my son. That's it. And he's going to go to the cross to die on your behalf, that he is going to be your savior. Your sins will be forgiven. You will experience grace. The process might be slow, but there is hope because I'm going to be committed to you. So listen, lest we get confused by all of it, listen, I want your hope this Christmas season into this new year as you read this passage to be in the promises of God and in the person of Jesus. Your hope is in the person of Jesus. There's no other place to put your hope. I know even all of the other other Christian things are really, really good, but your hope has got to be in the person of Jesus. There's no other place to put it. Listen, God's initiative in this story, the setup, the story, the working behind the scenes, the Old Testament, the prediction, the prophecy. Did you know when you like flip from Old Testament to New Testament, like that little sliver of a page, right? That's 400 years of God's silence. 
He doesn't speak. Even that, right? When he's not speaking through his prophets, he's still working, but he's not speaking through his prophets. Even that was to set up this. The angel Gabriel coming, right? John being born and preparing the way. It's all for just one purpose, that Jesus would come. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, the Son of God, who is going to save the world, pay for the sins of the world. Listen, this is the whole purpose. This is the whole point. Look, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. When the time had come, Christmas, when he deemed it was time, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, a virgin, remember? Under the law, he was man, to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive adoptions as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This was the whole purpose. Romans three twenty-five. when God put forward as a propitiation, you know what propitiation means? Means to like appease or satisfy, right? The requirements of another. When God put forth as a propitiation who satisfied the wrath of God by his blood to be received by faith, that's Jesus. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. Everything he was doing before was all to get his son here to do his work. Romans eleven thirty six. for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, listen, this was the whole point of everything. This one little part, Jesus coming. My son was going to come. And he's come. Where is your hope coming from, church? Listen, where's your hope coming from? I know your sin is ever before you. I know you're not where you want to be. But are you trusting in the promises of God? And then is your hope in the person of Jesus? Where's your hope coming from? Don't trust in all of the side items of Christianity as the way that you find your ultimate hope. Trust in the person of Jesus. He's the plan. He's the purpose. He's the point. He's the only one who could die on your behalf to pay for the penalty of your sin, send his spirit inside of you, and change you from the inside out. You know, when I do a wedding, I love doing weddings, um, and when I do them, um, it's so fun to walk with people like from the very, very beginning of their planning, like all the way to the end, right? There's so much involved, okay? Some people more involved than other people, okay? And uh, some people more particular than other people, okay? But when we get to that place where I'm standing there and I'm asking them if they are going to make this vow before God, they do, right? And they say, I do before God. You know what I'm thinking in my mind pretty much every time, like all of this just to get us to this one point. This is the purpose right now. All of the other items, they really don't even matter. We could have done without them. Now they're great and wonderful and they symbolize a lot. But it was all to get us to this one point, to this one purpose, to just say, I do. Two people before God, right? And in that instant, you go from unmarried to married. Just as in an instant, we go from not knowing Christ, not knowing God, not being saved, to being born again in an instant, right? We say, I do to Jesus. 
All of this was the purpose. All of the other items, they were all good, and God was helping us to see how he was working all of this plan, but the very purpose was this purpose right here, Jesus coming and going to the cross to pay for your sins. And so church, listen, your hope has to ultimately be in the person and the work of Jesus. That's the whole purpose, that your sins would be forgiven, that in him you would find hope and truth, that through him you would know God and be changed by God. That's your hope, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. In this passage, what we see in the story of Christmas, it reminds us that God keeps his promises, and he still does. We've got to trust his promises by faith. In this story, in the message of Christmas, we see that Jesus is the purpose. He's where our hope is found. And lastly, number three, in our passage, what we see is that the story of Christmas reminds us that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. This is what we see. So look in verses 34 through 38, our last point here. At the end of this, Mary talks to the angel. She says to the angel Gabriel, I'm gonna keep saying it till you know that I know his name, okay? Mary says to the angel Gabriel, how can this be? Now listen, she's not asking the same question that Zechariah asked, right? Zechariah asked like, uh, I don't believe, like, can you prove it, right? And Mary's like genuinely asking a question. I'm not sure how this is possible. That's her question. Like, I really don't know. And that's a good, by the way, that's a good question for her to ask. Like, how is this possible? I'm a virgin, right? That's what she's asking here. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel saying, I'm going to answer your question. Here's what it is. This Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because this Jesus is to be born of the Holy Spirit, for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. God was coming, fully God, to be fully man. How was this possible? Only God could have conceived this plan. And now we see this. And behold, verse 36, lest you maybe don't believe me, let me just kind of prove it to you by something maybe impossible that I've already done. What have you already done? Your relative, Elizabeth, she's conceived. So like, let me show you. I've already done something great and impossible in your eyes as well, or not in everybody's eyes. She's also conceived a son in her old age. Remember, she's old. She wasn't supposed to have a child that wasn't supposed to be what? Possible, right? She is also considered barren, but now, even though it seemed impossible, she's in her sixth month. And then he summarizes it, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. So what he's saying here, what we're seeing here, what Luke is telling us, that through Christmas, we witness that God does the impossible. Mary, son of God being born to her, Elizabeth, in her old age, but more than anything else, salvation. Because we can't get to God on our own. It's impossible. You are sinful through and through. 
You have no way of getting to God by yourself. You have no way of being in right standing before a holy God by yourself. You are fully sinful. We have sin. The Bible tells us all fall short. All fall short of the glory of God, right? There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks for God. On your own, you would never seek for God. All have turned away. Together we become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's why here what we see in Luke chapter 18 when asked, Jesus just got done talking to the rich man, right? And Jesus, seeing that this rich man had become sad and walked away or, uh, and, and sorrowful, Jesus, seeing that, he had, uh, seeing that he had become sad and said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. They already have their treasure. They have no need for a savior. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who heard it, who were around him and heard it and saw this, they said, who then can be saved? Like there's no one who will seek for God. There's no one who's going to turn away from their sin. There's no way that someone can accomplish this on their own. And no one is going to be perfect enough to be with God for all of eternity. And what Jesus says is what is impossible with man is possible with God. Because I came up with a plan. Because I am the plan. Because I'm fully God, I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm the plan. I came to you to make it possible. Because it's impossible for you. And I'm fully God, so I can die on behalf of the whole world for all of eternity. I'm in my manhood, I can die, but it's going to count for all of eternity for everybody. And everybody's sins can be forgiven as they trust in me. I'm the only way. I'm the only plan. I am the one who makes it possible. With man, it is impossible to be with God for all of eternity because our sin separates us from him. But with God and his plan in Christmas and in the cross, it's possible. So listen, we see God do this seemingly, quote unquote, impossible because impossible, use that word in front of God, there's nothing. For us, there is a impossibility of things. We see that nothing's impossible with God. So listen, as we close, church, maybe there's a sin in your life and you can't overcome it. I mean, maybe you have tried for years. Maybe you cannot stop doing something that you have tried so hard, have had so much help with. And to you, it's impossible. I can't beat this thing. And I want to tell you that that's not true. In Jesus Christ, everything is possible. And God makes it possible. And I don't want you to give up hope and despair. Listen, God can do what seems to be impossible. Maybe you've given up hope on it. You've just said, you know what, for me, for some reason, this particular area, it's impossible for me to become like Jesus. I can't do it. I'm just gonna live with this for the rest of my life. Don't give up. Don't give up. God can do it. God can change your life. If he can pay for all the sins of all of the world, he can defeat the sin that's in your life. Or maybe there's friends and family who you say, 
they'll never come to know Jesus and follow him. It's impossible. Don't count God out. He's God. Don't forget. Like if you forgot about God, maybe you think God could never use you because of your skill set or because of your past and your failure. God can do the impossible. 2019, here's what I want you to think through, is that God keeps his promises. I'm gonna live with a pocket of promises in faith, in the promises of God, trusting in his grace through the gospel on a daily basis. That's how my faith is gonna work itself out. Secondly, what I want you to be encouraged by and find hope in is the person of Jesus. There's no hope outside of him. Find him, search for him, look for him, trust in him, seek him, love him, treasure him, prize him. All of your days. And lastly, as we see this, I want you to be reminded that God can do everything. There's nothing, nothing impossible with him. Trust him and seek him and ask him to do the impossible in your life. At the end of this passage, what we see is that Mary responds to Gabriel by saying, I'm your slave. Whatever you say, I'm just gonna trust it. Let the Lord have his way. And I pray that that would be your heart this Christmas season and beyond into 2019. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and your word is so full for us. I know, God, that you are doing a mighty work in the hearts of the people here. I pray, Lord, that you would call us into true faith and understanding from your word. God, I pray that we would understand and we would see, God, that you do the impossible. You have sent your son, Jesus, to die on behalf of your people so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins, but you would. And your plan and your way was the only way. You made it possible. Help us to believe that you still do the impossible in our lives. God, I pray that we as a church, we as people in here, maybe even for the first time among these people, would trust in the person of Jesus more than they would trust in anything else in all of life. That the whole pinnacle and the whole point of this whole storyline in all of our lives, in all of the Bible, is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and that we would trust in him, believe in his name, and surrender ourselves wholly, completely to him. And God, I pray that we would see that you're a promise-keeping God. Your promises lace the Bible because we need them. That we wouldn't be a people who aimlessly try to live by faith, but that we would have rock-solid promises in our pocket on a regular basis that we would trust in and look to when Satan tempts us to despair and that we would have courage to live for you and to accomplish your mission as we trust in those promises. We love you, and we surrender to you, and with Mary, we say, we're yours, we're your slaves. Do as you please. In Jesus' name, amen.